Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Associate Pastor Henry Coates. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Prepare our hearts, O oh God, to accept your word, silencing us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Romans 8, verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of our God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. I'm so pleased that I get to share a word from the Lord with you all this day. It has been too long since we've seen each other face to face, and I miss you all. Wherever you may be joining us in worship today, I'm glad you're here. You know, I'd be lying if I said that these past couple of months haven't been hard. They have been. 
In January, if you had told me that I would be recording a sermon on my parents' deck sometime in July to be shared in our virtual worship service because the church building was closed, I would have looked at you as if you were from another planet or something. But here we are. Our country is in the midst of three crises at once, and it's bad. The COVID crisis, the economic crisis resulting from COVID, and the persistent crisis of race in American history and society. It's a lot, and it's okay to admit that it's a lot. Admit these, amidst these huge crises, we all have these smaller trials and tribulations, mornings and griefs. From the death of loved ones, family, friends, and beloved members of our church community, like Ken Wiley and Peggy Robinson, to the anxiety of trying to think how we will educate our kids best when schools are closed or entirely virtual, to the sheer loneliness of not being able to connect with people we care about in ways that we need because of COVID. It's hard. Now, we can feel tired, understandably, but also overwhelmed and weak. Now, look, I'm, I'm a strong guy. I like to pride myself on my strength, right? But I got to admit to you that I've been feeling weak lately. I don't know about you. But I take great comfort from Paul's reminder in Romans 8.26 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. God says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, we will boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on us, to paraphrase 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Now, these words are true, but where do we go from here? Having admitted our weaknesses, having handed them over to God in trust with sighs too deep for words, where do we go from here? We know, according to the scripture, that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says. Now what that means, I couldn't tell you. Because in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of the explosion of anger and rage in the light of the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, I could go on. It can be so hard to believe that all things work together for good for those who love God. Goodness can be hard to perceive. If the providence of God is total, if God knows all things that are to happen, why does God tolerate so many horrible things to happen, that do happen? How do we go from offering our weakness to the Spirit of God, 
to trusting that all things, all things will work together for the good. Now, this is one of the great questions of the ages, is it not? And it comes back again and again in the midst of our own personal terrors and the horrors of the moment as we contemplate the enduring structural sins such as racism that corrupt all things, including our national institutions, as we study our own past as a nation and as individuals. You see, Paul gets this. Paul was not some pie-in-the-sky, unicorns-and-rainbows, power-of-positive-thinking kind of guy. Paul's age was one of Roman conquest, uncontrollable plague, normalized sexual violence, and massive slavery. He knew how tough things could be. Heck, he would literally lose his head just a couple years after writing Romans for being Christian. But still he says that all things work together for good for those who love God. And in the next sections of Romans 8, uh, verses 31 through 39, Paul explains why this is so. Because Paul believes firmly and he lives his life solidly on the reality that if God is for us, who or what can be against us. So how do we move from fear and weakness to trust and hope? We live our lives with the confidence that God is for us, no matter what, in blessed assurance that in God's fullness, evil does not have the last word. No. God does. Romans 8, 31 through 39 is quite possibly my favorite passage in the entire Bible. Because 8, 31 through 39 allows me to admit the brokenness in the world. It allows me to tell the truth about my sins and the sins of the people and things I love. It allows me to see the world with eyes wide open and still trust in God. By my read, Romans 8, 31 through 39 encapsulates the entire gospel and challenges us to live our life in a certain way as more than conquerors, which is how Jesus would have us live. Though the battle still rages, the victory has been won. Nothing can or will separate us from the love of God. To explain to you what I mean, let me share with you what I've been doing this summer. When the murder of George Floyd led to a national reckoning on race, I decided that since I couldn't go out and agitate for racial justice in ways I would like due to the coronavirus, I would read books. For me, Knowledge leads to action. And so I decided to educate myself on periods of American history that I am not generally familiar with. I'm a history nut. If you know me, I, I read a lot of books on history. 
But I didn't know much about American history before or after the Civil War, the so-called antebellum and Reconstruction periods. And so I set to myself a reading list, the titles of which you see on your screen right now. I love my country. I really do. Even when it's hard. James Baldwin once wrote, I love America more than any other country in the world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. I am not here to critique America, but to tell our story in light of Romans 8, 31 through 39. And that means by telling the truth. I'm fascinated by legal history and how theories of law lead us to govern ourselves in a certain way and lead us to see our neighbors in a certain light. The law of Christ tells us to love our God with all our hearts and all our souls and minds and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But the laws of our country did not do this. For nearly a century, the law in the United States said that people could be chattel, property, based on the color of their skin, bought and sold. This went back to the earliest period of the American colonies, French, Spanish, English, and Dutch. No property in man is the legal principle that some saw in the Constitution and utilized to agitate against slavery in this country. Anti-slavery activists saw that slavery was not natural law, that it could only be enforced by local positive law. The saying went, freedom national, slavery local. The Constitution did not establish slavery, but recognized that it was local, i.e. state law. Famously, the word slave or slavery is not mentioned once in the Constitution, though it is alluded to. Frederick Douglass, John Quincy Adams, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Abraham Lincoln, abolitionists, and others seized on this and thought for a time that slavery could be abolished by legal constitutional means. Nobody thought that the issue would be settled by a war that would see Americans slaughter each other, except for radicals both northern and southern, such as William Lloyd Garrison and Alexander Stevens. This was not simply a legal problem, but a theological one as well. Both claimed that God was on their side and found evidence both for and against slavery in the Bible. Generals Grant and Sherman forced the issue when they triumphed over the rebellious so-called Confederate States of America at the cost of over 850,000 lives, nearly one in 12 Americans killed. Now maybe you're saying, why are you telling us this, Henry? I don't see how this connects to the Bible. 
This happened over 150 years ago. William Faulkner once observed that the past is never dead. It is not even past. The Civil War was, is, the seminal tragedy in American history. There are other tragedies, yes, including the ones we live through now. But the Civil War, its echoes reflect even into the present. I want to show you a picture. That young woman, surrounded by both Union and Confederate veterans, is my great-grandmother, Norma Fleming Clark, born 1888. She's standing before a North Carolina memorial at Gettysburg in 1913 on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg. My great-great-grandfather, Norma's grandfather, Andrew, hung himself in the family barn as he had heard a rumor that Southern secessionist supporters, such as himself, would have their property seized as the war came to an end. He lived in Maryland, did not own slaves, but supported secession. I don't remember my great grandmother, but she did hold me when I was an infant, a little older than my Jacob is now. I have heard stories that she claimed she was an unreconstructed secesh, i.e. a southerner of the old school. She was not a bad woman, but she was a confederate at heart. I grew up in the shadow of America's Civil War, mostly due to my grandmother's influence. I recall being a first grader and singing, Oh, I wish I was in the land of cotton. Old times there are not forgotten. Look away, look away, look away, Dixieland. I sang that at several talent shows when I was in the first grade. Now, oddly, that same year, I developed a love for Abraham Lincoln that lasts till today. And I became aware that slavery was the cause of the Civil War. Now, do I need to apologize for the actions of my ancestors, repent of their sins? No, I don't think so. But I do need to be aware of what has come before and how what has come before impacts our present and could shape our future. That's why I share my story with you. Because the words of Romans 8, because of Jesus Christ and his victory, we don't need to feel shame about our pasts, no. I never, until this summer's reading, came to terms with my own and my family's past in regards to that conflict, which still defines America to this day. Shame, no. Awareness, yes. And as I am beginning to grow in awareness, the question that comes to me is, so what? So what if you're aware? What are you going to do about it? Abraham Lincoln, at his second inaugural, spoke these words. Both the North and the South read the same Bible, 
and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. Fondly do we hope, fervently we do pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be, played, shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago and still must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. In many ways, the war that Lincoln spoke of is not over yet. The Civil War led to the Reconstruction Amendments, yes, but that transitioned into the victorious North abandoning Southern blacks in the name of white national reunion and Christian reconciliation. This led to lynch law, Jim Crow, redlining, police violence, the school-to-prison pipeline, the systemic, organized, and insidious racism that pervades our land that we love. So how do we live in light of this past and the midst of our presence? What is the Romans 8 way to live? We are at an inflection point in the history of our country. And we need to get our heads and our hearts in order. The time for frivolous, unserious men and things is over. We must deal with our reality head on, not giving into fear or braggadocio, but with God's call to be God's elect imprinted on our hearts. We need to tell the truth about ourselves and our society and how our church fits in to both. This is where the words of Romans 8 come in for me. Redemption is possible in the transforming love of Christ that nothing, not even our pasts, can separate us from. If Christ is for us, who can be against us? We as a society have come a long way since 1492, 1619, 1776, 1787, 1865, since 1964 and 1965. But we have not crossed over Jordan yet. The murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor tell us this much. So what are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? 
It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, I can't help, just gotta be honest, I can't help but tear up as I read these words. For these words are the words of truth. I offer this scripture at every funeral I officiate because these are the words of life in the face of death. And these words tell us that we, the living, it is up to us to live our lives anew in light of Romans 8, 31 through 39. The church can't simply be the church anymore in the sense that it is the place you go on Sunday morning to sing a few songs, hear a few serious words, and greet your friends. The COVID crisis reveals this to us, but the reality of American history makes this point painfully clear. We are not isolated from the world in which we live. We are not above society. We are part of it. What we say and do as Christians matter. Our public witness matters. Therefore, let the church make disciples. Let the church live out our call to seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our Lord. Let us be peacemakers and, where necessary, make good trouble. For we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. I've been mulling over this phrase of Paul's for weeks now. What does it mean? Paul could have said that we are the conquerors, my friends. But he didn't. He insisted that God's is the victory, that Christ alone has conquered sin and death, and therefore we can live our lives as more than conquerors. What is beyond conquest? What comes after conquest? Well, in Roman times, mass enslavement of the conquered slaves, excuse me, mass enslavement of the conquered always followed conquest. But Paul has something else in mind here. I imagine Paul had heard stories of Jesus speaking on the mountaintop as the new Moses, the true lawgiver, proclaiming that blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children 
of God. When Paul says that we are more than conquerors because of Jesus Christ, he is telling us that we are therefore peacemakers, since peacemaking is the task of the child of God. As Roman 8 as Romans 8:29 reminds us, for those whom he foreknew, he also pre be, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God in order that Jesus might be the firstborn within a large family. The battle we wage is the way of peace, for we know that Christ has conquered the grave, and therefore nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, not our history, not the color of our skin, nor the sins we have committed. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors. We are peacemakers. Freedom is coming, and we are empowered by Christ to work towards it for all people. As Galatians 5, 1, 5, 51 tells us, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This past week, Three mighty oaks have fallen. The Reverend C.T. Vivian, Reverend J.I. Packer, and Congressman John Lewis have gone to join that great cloud of witnesses. For all three men, their faith was their strength in the midst of cruelty. I'm especially moved by the loss of John Lewis, a man for me who epitomized the grace of God, who never quit telling the truth, who never stopped striving for justice, who was an active agent of God's reconciliation in the world. John, it's raining right now, folks. I'm going to keep going, though. John Lewis, reflecting on his life in the struggle for civil rights, offered us this lesson. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. This, I think, is a way that we can be peacemakers in the world in a manner that gives God glory. J.I. Packer was once asked what his final words for the church would be, and he replied, I think it can boil down to four words. Glorify Christ in every way. This we can do, even in our pandemic times, for as Christ is with us, 
who can be against us? How can we live? How can we live like this? How can we do this? By loving God and loving neighbor, living as the peacemaking children of God. Now, friends, times are perilous right now. You know this. They are scary. We are living through history, and that is deeply uncomfortable. It can feel like we are in the midst of a reckoning with no end in sight. What are we to do? Well, tell the truth. See the world with eyes wide open and trust in Jesus Christ. For who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. For in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free while God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. God's truth is marching on. Amen. And amen. God bless you all.